So what had happened was, I was showing my children, my sons, how to do sit-ups. And they got excited about it, and they were, and Kate was very impressed of the many that I could do. And don't be so surprised that I can still do sit-ups. I still got ribs under here. You just have to dig for them. Um, so I was doing sit-ups, and I was looking, and I was starting to show off a little bit. I started flexing while I was doing sit-ups, and Kate thought that was great. And I started to act like I was shooting pistols when I was sitting up, and I was saying bang, bang. And when I came up, I turned and looked, and there was the, my youngest had the toy sword out to help me, I guess, pull me up. And he was just holding it like this, and I set up right into the business end of this uh, toy sword. Uh, and I got up and ran out of the room, not so much because it hurt, but because the way it went in, it, into my socket, I thought that my eye was just done. And I didn't want my boys to see, you know, to see me, especially not. So we went to the doctor's office and everything, and, you know, thankfully, or uh, it all worked out for good. And, and thanks to my, uh, my youngest, I almost got to fulfill my dream of looking like, more like a pirate. But... Uh, <laughs> Thanks to my oldest and his heartfelt prayer for me and for the Lord, I, my, I, I see fine. So, yeah. The swelling has gone down. My vision, is, it seems like the same. It, it looks kind of gnarly if I were to look up and look to the left a little bit. But other than that, it could have been a lot worse. So just thankful for that. Uh, uh, that, that did not become the case. But it would have been kind of cool. It would have been a cool story, I think. We're going to continue this morning uh, with the uh, series that I've been on, the After Easter series. Grace and peace to y'all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to pick up in chapter 6 and chapter 7 of the book of Acts. Uh, we, let's see, where were we when last uh, left? Oh yeah, Peter and, uh, Peter and John were just uh, beaten by the Sadducees and sent out again after, being re- after the angel miraculously got them out of jail. That's where we're at now. And we see in chapter 6, we start reading in, uh, where the apostles are deciding, hey, you know, we need more officers of the church to kind of help with, you know, the delivering of the goods, the delivering of food and other stuff like that to the congregation. So they appointed basically deacons. And so that's where we kind of see where that developed. And one of these men that they appointed and they kind of they prayed about of appointing as a deacon was Stephen. And so we read that Stephen, he was very much uh, received a lot of power from God to do some great things. And we pick up on verse 8 of chapter 6, and it's a lot, but I want to get into it because it's some really good stuff, and it really plays into the message today. So, so buckle up, pay attention, and see, what's, see what the Lord is doing. Chapter 8 starts with, Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Some men who were from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and some from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they were unable to stand up against the wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. They then secretly induced some men to say, We heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They stirred up the people, the elders, and the experts in the law. They came, dragged Stephen away, and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They presented false witnesses who said, This man never stops making threats against this holy place and the law. In fact, we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs Moses handed down to us. 
All those who were sitting in the Sanhedrin were looking intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked, Are these things true? Stephen said, Gentlemen, brothers and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. God said to him, Leave your land and your relatives and come to the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After his father died, God had him move from there to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance in this land, not even enough to set his foot on. But God promised to give it as a possession to him and to his descendants after him, even though Abraham still had no child. God revealed that his descendants would live as strangers in a foreign country and that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. God added, I will judge the nation that they will serve as slaves, and after that they will leave there and serve me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. So Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. The patriarchs, filled with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. God rescued him from all his troubles and granted him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Pharaoh made him governor over Egypt and over his whole palace. A famine came over all of Egypt and Canaan, causing great suffering, and our fathers found no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent word and invited his father Jacob and all his relatives to come to him, 75 people in all. Jacob went down to Egypt, and there he died, he and our fathers. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. As the time approached that God spoke about in the promise that he had made to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. This continued until another king who knew nothing about Joseph became ruler of Egypt. He took advantage of our people in a cunning way, and he mistreated our fathers by forcing them to get rid of their babies so that they would not survive. At that time, Moses was born, and he was favored by God. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. After he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him in and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in his words and actions. But when he was 40 years old, it entered his mind to visit his brothers, the son of Israel. When he saw one of them being mistreated, he defended him and avenged the oppressed man by striking down the Egyptian. He thought that his brother would, would understand that God was giving them deliverance by his hand, but they did not understand. The next day he came across two of them while they were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them. He said, men, you are brothers. Why are you harming each other? But the one who was harming his neighbor pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me the same way you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this remark, Moses fled and lived as an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. After forty years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flames of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he went closer to look, the voice of the Lord said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, because the place where you are standing is holy ground. 
I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning. I have come down to rescue them. Now come, I will send you to Egypt. This is the same Moses they had rejected by saying, Who made you a ruler and judge? This is the same one who God sent to be a ruler and deliverer with the help of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This is the one who led the people out as he performed wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the people of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. This is the one who was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living messages to give us, but our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they pushed him away and turned back in their hearts to Egypt. They told Aaron, make gods for us who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. That was the same time when they made a calf, offered a sacrifice to the idol, and were taking delight in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the heavenly bodies, as it is written in the books of the prophets. Did you bring me slaughtered animals and sacrifices 40 years in the wilderness, house of Israel? No, you even took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Rephan, the statues you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of the testimony in the wilderness. It was just like the model Moses had seen, just as he had spoke to Moses, directed him to make it. After our fathers received it from him, they brought it in with Joshua. When they took possession of the land from the nations, God drove out before our fathers. It was here until the days of David. He found favor in the presence of God and asked that he might obtain a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands, just as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What sort of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is my resting place? Did not my hands make all these things? You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You are doing just what your fathers did. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who prophesied the coming of the righteous one. And now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You who received the law as transmitted by angels, but did not keep it. When they heard these things, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they screamed at the top of their voices, covered their ears and rushed at him with one purpose in mind. They threw him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell to his knees and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. After he said this, he fell asleep. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. That was a lot. But it was very, very important for the message this morning. Stephen's enemies exposed themselves for why they are really angry with Stephen and with this message of Christ. Here are the charges that they used false witnesses to claim against Stephen. That he speaks blasphemous words against Moses and against God. 
that he never stops making threats against this holy place, the temple, and the law, saying that Jesus will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses handed down. However, in Stephen's speech, his, his sermon, he laid out on display the true history of the Jewish people, which none of them could dispute. He showed that their fathers have been against Moses, the law, and against God. He reminds them how God felt about a temple, this holy place being made for him, the very thing that they are offended by the thought that it would be destroyed. He reminds them that God does not live in or is only confined in something made by human hands. He reminds them how they have had no regard for the law, not to mention that they murdered Jesus. Stephen's accusers are doing the same thing that their ancestors did. They are taking delight in the work of their own hands. Willfully ignoring Jesus, just as they willfully ignored and were against Moses and all the prophets. He then brings to memory the righteous one, as referenced by prophets that their fathers persecuted and who they have now killed, who is Jesus. Why is Jesus called the righteous one? Well, He's the only one that's righteous. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks for God. No one can understand God. Yet there's one who is and was and forever will be righteous, and that's Jesus Christ. And that was a promise that was made to Abraham and all of the ancestors of the Jewish people that a righteous one would come to save them. And here in Stephen's speech, he puts on a complete display of how this righteous one that you invoked Moses and you invoked the prophets and you invoked all the scriptures and all this stuff they handed down. Remember that reference to the righteous one that's supposed to be coming? Yeah, you killed him. You killed the righteous one. Stephen presents such an airtight defense on who Jesus is and puts on a trial himself of the assembly that in fact the very accusations that they are making of Stephen, they themselves and their ancestors are guilty of. The Jews in the council are so enraged that they have no response to this claim other than an outpouring of the hatred in their hearts for this message and for anyone who delivers it. They have no right retort back to Stephen other than blind rage. They even plug their ears with their hands. Did you read that? Like little kids, like, you know, they, they, they couldn't handle hearing what's being said. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. And they would not have any of it. The imagery here of willful rejection of the gospel is potent. They rejected it so fully that they covered their ears and raged against it. A few things to recognize. Luke wrote the book of Acts as well as the gospel of Luke. Have you, did you notice the parallels in this story between Stephen and with Jesus? Did any of y'all catch that? False witnesses were brought and accused Stephen of being against God and the law. Ever since Jesus began preaching the gospel and then becoming the gospel, the religious, self-righteous Pharisees, Sadducees, pious person who place their hope in what they believe is their own keeping of the law will hear the message of the gospel and think it is an anti-God, anti-law message. This was true in Jesus' day on the earth, Stephen's day, Paul's day, Martin Luther's day, as well as today. Oh, this follower of Jesus doesn't care about the law, they say. Oh, this teaching is saying that we can live however we want, they yell. What about all the customs, traditions that have been passed down to us? This message is threatening to wipe these away, they yell. 
cheap grace, hyper grace, antinomian they yell. Antinomian, it's, that means someone who's anti-law or against the law of God. Newsflash. To those who say that the good news of God's one-way love to sinners, that Jesus Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, given as a gift of God's grace, that grace is cheap, it's far worse than that for those who rail against so-called cheap grace. Grace isn't cheap. It's free. It's not cheap. It's 100% free. Free to the sinner. What could you or I possibly do to earn God's grace? If grace demanded a response in return in order for it to be given in the first place, it would cease to be grace. It would no longer be grace but a wage, something earned. What could you possibly offer to God that is more valuable than the blood of God the Son? For that is the very thing that has purchased you and has saved you of all your sin. The very blood of Jesus Christ bought you. Hearing the gospel in its full value and then claiming that it is against God and the law, this is still happening today. Watch, the people are so offended by the gospel that Christ's atoning death saved a sinner all by himself, that God's gifts of, gifts of sin repentance, faith in Christ, forgiveness of sins, adoption, reconciliation, righteousness, makes the same accusation as this crowd makes against Stephen, that he is against God and the law. Make no mistake, if I am reconciled to God, Forgiven by him, not condemned by him, counted righteous by him, adopted by him, welcomed into heaven by him, hear well done from him. It will be because I am carried by the merit and action of another. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, he has promised, I will be also. That voice, that desire to say, yeah, but what about obedience? Yeah, but what about doing what God commanded? Yeah, but what about my action now as a Christian? When hearing the full weight of the gospel is that of the self-righteous who desires to find ultimate hope in themselves and in the work of their own hands. That is the voice of old Adam who wants a claim to his own salvation. The idea that he brings nothing to the table in saving himself is anathema to old Adam. It means his death, and so be it. Old Adam needs to die, and die, and he dies hard. If old Adam has a part to play in his own salvation, then he should have just stuck with the law. Good luck with that. God knew that no one was righteous, no, not one, that no one seeks him of their own free will, that the sinner's will was bound to always, always, always choose himself over God, choose sin over righteousness, Good news. If we have been buried with Christ, we will be raised with Christ. God has gifted us with faith in Christ. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And it flanks and apprehends our will to be replaced by the very will of God. What is the will of God? That we would have faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. If you do have faith in Christ, that is not a product of your own doing and your own choosing, but it is the product of God choosing you, adopting you, ransoming you all by himself. Indeed, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And how was Stephen's death full of Jesus? 
First, Jesus was seen. As Stephen was about to be pelted with stones, which is quite horrifying when you think about it, he looked up to see heaven wide open with Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Notice that Stephen sees Jesus standing, which is interesting because most of the time in Scripture it describes Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. But as Stephen, one who is in Christ, one who just testified and witnessed to who Jesus is and what he has done, is about to be killed for his testimony, Jesus Christ himself stands up. Imagine the encouragement. Imagine the emotion. How awesome that must have been. Was Jesus anymore not for Stephen because he did not stop the stones from hitting Stephen? Absolutely not. Here is Jesus Christ, Son of God, standing rather than sitting as if to receive Stephen himself into paradise. Here it is as if Jesus is sympathizing with his suffering servant, ready to carry him home forever. Secondly, Jesus was invoked. Stephen cried out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Dying Christians are not troubled with questions of who Jesus is. They know and hope in Jesus Christ, Son of God. Stephen does not invoke any other name in his dying other than Jesus Christ. He invoked the name of Jesus and fell completely on him. Charles Spurgeon said in reference to this passage, there is no right living or joyful dying except by invoking Christ. Thirdly, Stephen also trusted Jesus. He confided in Jesus alone, for we read that he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. At the point when he knew his body was about to be separated from his spirit, he requested that Jesus received it in his care. He is done praying for himself, but rather prays for his enemies, and then he dies. This is the simple and awesome way we Christians die to place our soul in the nail-scarred hands of him who alone is able to keep it. Finally, in Stephen, we see Jesus imitated. The death of Jesus is almost an exact way of how, the death of Stephen is almost an exact way of how and why Jesus was killed. Jesus died outside the gate. So did Stephen. Jesus died praying. So did Stephen. Jesus committed his spirit to the Father. Stephen says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Christ dies pleading for his murderers. So does Stephen. Wow. Love for your enemies. Father, forgive them. The two moments in your life when you are most like Jesus is when you die and when you forgive. We can get so focused on doing good works. Good works are good. Love your neighbor. You are free to love your neighbor in Christ. What work is more like Christ than when you forgive someone? Especially someone who does not deserve your forgiveness, nor has done anything to earn your forgiveness. I have done nothing. I have done nothing to deserve the forgiveness of God. I have done nothing to earn the forgiveness of God. Good news. Jesus died to give me the forgiveness of God. Not because I deserved it, but because Jesus loves me so much, he would and did die to have me. 
Jesus earned the forgiveness of God and then gives it to me as a gift. Because I earned this kind of love? No, but because Jesus loves me. When you are too weak to hold fast to Christ, Christ will hold fast to you. When you are faithless, Christ remains faithful. Do you struggle with forgiving? Fail at it even? Fear not. Christ died and rose and offers the gift of repentance and forgiveness of sins even when we struggle with forgiving others. It is true that you may not experience the dramatic and amazing death of martyrdom like Stephen did, but one thing is very much true. You will die one day. Death has spread to all of mankind because of sin. The fact that we all die is a constant reminder that you are a sinful being living in a sinful world and nothing inside of you or in your power can change that. But you, just like Stephen, have not been left to your own power. By God's grace, you are saved. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Will the team come forward, please? You may not, as Stephen, see heaven open as you fall under a storm of stones. Thank goodness. That's a rough way to go. That takes, I got to imagine that's going to take a long time being crushed, being stoned to death. But please hear me in this. But what is very, very good news is that you will indeed see heaven wide open when you depart this earthly life. And the same Jesus who stood to comfort and receive Stephen is the same Jesus who you will see in all his power and in all his glory. God the Son welcoming you home. There is coming a day when no heart aches shall come. No more clouds in the sky. No more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day. A glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. There'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear. No more sickness, no more pain, no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, a glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. My fellow sinners, do you confess that you are a sinner and place faith in that Jesus lived, died, and rose for the forgiveness of your sins? Then, based off of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you, you are forgiven. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.